Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 260, King Edward's Forgotten Love Life. This show is ad-free due to member support. And as a way of thanking members for keeping the show independent, I offer members-only content, including extra episodes and rough transcripts. You can get instant access to all the members' extras by signing up for membership at thebritishhistorypodcast.com for about the price of a latte per month. And thank you very much to Victoria, Allison, and John for signing up already. Next month, Z and I are coming back to London for her graduation ceremony. We're quite excited, but not half as excited as her parents are, as they're coming with us. And when I asked Z's mom, Julia, what she'd like to do, she immediately asked for a meetup. Seriously, she's never been to the UK, but the first thing that she wants to do is hang out in a pub with a bunch of history fans. So, what do you think? Shall we do it? Being that the Parliament Room at the George Inn on Borough High Street has kind of become the unofficial meetup spot, I thought we could do that again. So how about we get together there at the George Inn on Borough High Street at 2 p.m. on Sunday, December 10th. And we can have a pint, chat about history and other nerdy things. And you can also meet my new in-laws. Sound good? Okay, let's get to the show. Sometimes life just comes at you fast. So much happens in such a short space of time that you barely have a chance to take note of where you're at. And only after it's all passed, only then do you have a chance to say, oh my God, what was all that? And I wonder if that's what Edward's life was like in late 902. The death of his father, the push for the crown, his elevation and the rebellion that followed, the fight with the Danes of East Anglia and Northumbria, and the fact that his cousin was siding with them, the construction of his mother's abbey and the completion of his father's abbey, and finally, the death of his mother. It was a lot. But here's the thing. That is not all of it. That's just the stuff I told you about so far. Edward also had a hell of a lot happening back at home at pretty much exactly the same time. What you've already heard was the easy story. And the story that remains isn't so much a story, but it's more of a mystery. It's a mystery that begins with Edward's dating status. See, the thing is that we know he had a couple kids. Which, given how human biology works, means that there had to have been at least one woman involved. And that's where it gets a little confusing. And the confusion around it hints at some real drama that was going on in the House of Wessex. So let's start with what we know. It all begins at around 893 or 894. That's when Edward's son and Alfred's grandson, Athelstan, was likely born. The boy appears to have been named for Edward's own uncle the firstborn son of his grandfather, Athelwulf, and the original heir to the throne. His name means noble rock, and as the eldest son of Edward, he was Edward's heir. Now, Edward also had a daughter at around this same time, and while we don't know what her name was, she appears to have been rather influential because she went on to marry the king of Northumbria. But here's the mystery. We don't know who their mother was. The contemporary records for this period don't discuss her. They don't talk about her lineage. They don't talk about anything. She's ignored entirely. In fact, no one even mentions her name for over 200 years. It isn't until the 12th century with the writings of William of Malmesbury where we start to get some details. But if you're thinking, that's a really long time. Can we really trust William if he's writing over 200 years later? You're not alone. 
He does appear to have been consulting written and oral histories that have been subsequently lost. But believing his account, which appears to have been based on hearsay, and is hearsay that we can't corroborate with any of the contemporary records, requires a serious leap of faith. However, that centuries out-of-date account by William of Malmesbury, which was based on sources that no longer exist, well, that's the main story that we have for Edward's first partner. That's as solid as any of it gets. So, we have two kids at the turn of the 10th century and two powerhouse kids. One is a future queen of Northumbria, the other, the future king of England. In fact, he's the very first one. And they're the product of some sort of relationship between Edward and someone. We don't even know if they are married. And none of the records talk about her for over 200 years. And if at this point you're thinking, Well, come on, Jamie. That's not all that surprising. This is Wessex, and they suck when it comes to women. They even made up a weird sexually charged story about poison and Charlemagne to explain why they wouldn't allow queens. Well, you're not wrong, but there's a small problem with that assumption. And the problem is this. Edward does have a recorded wife. In fact, he has recorded wives, plural. In 901, Edward was married to Alflad, the daughter of Elderman Athelhelm and a woman named Ailswitha. And their marriage appears to have ended sometime in the late 910s. Then Edward remarried at around 920 to Edgiva, who was the daughter of Elderman Sigahelm of Kent, the same Sigahelm of Kent that we talked about last episode, the one who fought and died in battle against Athelwald. So wives are being mentioned. And I have a few things that I want to mention about these women, but the critical part that I want to highlight here is that both Alflad and Edgiva appear in the contemporary records. We can even find them in charters. But that's not the case for the mother of Athelstan and his unnamed sister. So let's get back to her. And that means that we will need to turn to the record written centuries later by William of Malmesbury. And William tells us that her name was Egwin. He tells us that Egwin was a, quote, distinguished woman, end quote, who bore Athelstan, the future first king of England. He also tells us that she was a woman of sufficiently high birth that even her daughter went on to marry the king of Northumbria. But he does go on to tell us, rather derisively, that someone named Aelfred had spread stories about Egwin and said that Egwin and Edward weren't married, that she was nothing more than Edward's concubine. We're told of how, by the time William was writing, there is a popular belief that Egwin was nothing more than a low-born mistress. There's even a song about it that tells of how Edward visited his nurse and spotted a beautiful shepherd's daughter and slept with her. Now, these stories make sure to mention that Egwin looked noble, but they also take care to emphasize that she wasn't. Now, William rejects these rumors out of hand, but the fact that he needs to talk about them lets us know that they existed. Whoever this woman was, 200 years later, some people were still talking about how she was lowborn and lacked an official status with Edward. But that being said, this was kind of the side story for William. What William of Malmesbury was most interested in wasn't the woeful tale of Egwin. He wanted to talk about her son, Athelstan. And he takes great pains to make sure that we know that prior to his death, Alfred lavished attention on the young boy. 
We're told that he loved Athelstan so much that he even carried out a ceremony in which he gave Athelstan a scarlet cloak, adornments, and a sword with a scabbard. And this ceremony, by the way, appears to be corroborated in a praise poem for Prince Athelstan. But anyway, William goes on to tell us that rather than being raised in the court of Wessex, Athelstan was sent to be raised in Mercia by his aunt and uncle, Athelflad and Athelred. Though critically, the record fails to mention whether this was Alfred's idea or Edward's. So, those are the points of evidence that we have regarding Egwin, and also a few points of evidence regarding Athelstan. And it all sounds pretty juicy, right? We don't have any contemporary records or charters. There's no name or lineage given. There's rumors about her low birth and possibly even her concubinage. And then shortly after taking the throne, Edward appears in the charters married to someone else. Mysteries abound. What was Egwin's status? And perhaps more importantly for her, where did she go? Well, before we dive into that, let's talk about another mystery that's embedded right in the middle of all of this. What on earth was going on with Athelstan and Alfred? That story about the gifts and the ceremony for a young boy is kind of unusual for this period. Or at least, if it was a normal thing at this time, it wasn't usually written about. And it sort of reminds me of the story that Alfred told of his trip to Rome, where he claimed that he'd been anointed as kind of a child king by the Pope. So what was going on here? Well, it probably won't surprise you to learn that most scholars do think that the ceremony sounds a lot like the appointment of an heir apparent. And that right there suggests that in the waning years of Alfred's reign, there might have been some drama happening in the court of Wessex. The first thought that I had when reading this was of all the charters that showed Edward already appearing as a king, even when Alfred was still alive. It seemed to me back then that it was possible that Alfred was returning to the old way of rule in Wessex with two monarchs, an over-king and a sub-king. And perhaps that's what this ceremony was all about. Maybe by anointing Athelstan, Alfred was indicating that he wanted this tradition to continue after his death. Alternatively, Alfred might have been looking downfield and realized that there's a succession crisis coming up with Athelwald. And it's possible that he was concerned that the Witan might decide to solve that succession crisis by returning to that old way of rule and thus give one of the crowns to his nephew, Athelwald. And maybe Alfred wanted to head off that possibility before it happened, so he went and nominated a new sub-king. But here's the thing with those possibilities. In either situation, the fact remains that anointing a young Atheling who was probably only four or five at the time, and who is the son of your eldest son, is kind of an odd choice. I mean, keep in mind that Edward wasn't Alfred's only son. Alfred had a rather large family, and if Alfred was looking to return Wessex to the old ruling scheme of split rule, why not choose Edward and his younger brother, Athelweird? Was Alfred looking back at the conflict between his brothers and thinking that maybe if they hadn't split rule between them the way they did, it might not have ended that way? Was he trying to avoid all that? I don't know. Here's another possibility. Was Edward falling out of favor with Alfred right around the time of his death? Basically, was Alfred seeking to split the kingdom between Edward and Athelstan? One historian, Janet Nelson, thinks this may have actually been the case. And another historian, Martin Ryan, suggests that at the time just before his death, the rift between Edward and Alfred was so deep that Alfred was going so far as to attempt to grant the kingdom in total to Athelstan. 
Yet another historian, Michael Wood, argues that this odd ceremony demonstrates that the boy was being groomed for rule right from birth, with the intent that he would be an intellectual king in a style that Alfred envisioned. A style that Edward may have been failing to live up to. They're all tantalizing possibilities. And as for what the truth is, your guess is as good as mine. But given the strangeness of Alfred paying this much attention to Athelstan, apparently above his other grown children, and the fact that he was sent away to Mercia to be raised by his aunt and uncle, well, all of this brings up yet more questions. What exactly was the plan with the Mercian thing, and whose plan was it? We aren't told whether he was sent to Mercia by Edward or Alfred, or even by someone else. All we know is that young Athelstan, Edward's only heir, was sent away to live with Auntie Athelflaed and Uncle Athelred. And then Grandpa Alfred died, and Dad went and married someone new. And actually, that someone new, the Lady Alflad, well, she might actually lend some evidence as to what may have been going on here. See, Alflad appears in charters by 901, though their marriage may have taken place earlier. But even if we assume that she appears in charters right after the marriage, that means that within a year of taking the throne, Alflad is there and wielding political power. It also raises a question. What happened to Egwin? Now, this is something we genuinely don't know. William doesn't tell us, and historians have precious little to draw from to even begin to make guesses. We don't know if she died. We don't know if she was set aside. We don't know if it was something else entirely. But Edward's marriage to Alflad gives us a few hints that might explain what was happening back at home, while Wessex was also racked with instability thanks to Athelwald's rebellion. Because keep in mind, this is all occurring at the same time that there's still a succession crisis raging. So here's where it gets really interesting. Alflad was the daughter of Elderman Athelhelm. And historians aren't exactly sure who Elderman Athelhelm was. There's still quite a bit of debate about it. Some people point to the Elderman of Wiltshire, but Dr. Stafford of Liverpool University has an intriguing theory. She points out that there was another Athelhelm from around this period whose own deeds and lineage might have been quite significant to Edward as he was looking to secure his position as the new King of Wessex. See, we've been talking a lot about Athelwald, the eldest son of King Athelred, and that's for obvious reasons. He's leading a rebellion. But old King Athelred actually had two sons, and the younger son was named Athelhelm, which is the same name as the father of the woman who Edward marries. Now, as you know, Athelwald dies in battle fighting the Ferd of Kent, but Athelhelm, well, he just disappears from the record, with the exception of a comment made by a later scribe who was named Athelweird, and he claimed to be his descendant. And that comment raises the possibility that Athelhelm, son of Athelred, had issue, and that he might have even outlived his brother. And all of this brings us back to Dr. Stafford. She argues that Elderman Athelhelm very well may have been Edward's cousin, Athelhelm, son of Athelred. And given the state of the kingdom and the threat that he was under due to Athelwald's rebellion, marrying the daughter of that same lineage might have gone a long way to secure his flank. This whole thing might have been a political olive branch, albeit one that had the potential of leading to some genetic abnormalities. And while everyone loves weddings, and why wouldn't they? Free booze. Political deals like that aren't about the wedding. 
They aren't about wrangling to get a good seat at the reception or getting first crack at singing Total Eclipse of the Heart. This was all about lineage. It's about ensuring that your line is merging with the ruling line. And that's where Egwin gets into this, because that's a bit of a problem if there already is a wife. And even if that wife had died previously, if there happens to be a child of that union, especially if there is a boy, well, that's a pretty big problem too, because he stands to inherit everything. In primogeniture, there's not much of a prize for second place. I mean, hopefully the royal treasuries will be enough to keep you in comfort, but you're not king. You're just an embittered uncle hanging around with your hyena friends. So even if Egwin was set aside or died, you still had the problem of Athelstan. He was a bit of a problem for any kids of Edward and Alflad. And it turns out, there would be a lot of kids from that union. Edward and Alflad got busy. Like, really busy. Depending on the sources, and depending on the historian who's counting, they have between 8 and 10 kids. And later on, we're going to see those kids getting married off to counts, dukes, kings, an emperor, and one daughter, Hilda, even got married to Hugh the Great of France, and some believe that she might have been the mother of Hugh Capet, because it was either her or Hedwig of Saxony. And that means that there's a non-zero chance that one of Edward and Alflad's kids went on to found the Capet dynasty. Seriously. Basically, everything that you've heard about Queen Victoria and Prince Albert and their strategic placement of children, well, Edward and Alflad did it 900 years before it was cool. But as impressive as all of that is, none of it ensured that Alflad's kids would inherit the House of Wessex. And that was a pretty big issue, especially if Dr. Stafford is right. And this was, in essence, a unity ticket to heal two rival branches of the House of Wessex. And when you look at all of it, you can't help but recognize that this could explain the lascivious stories about Egwin and her utter absence in the record. Egwin might have been a casualty in a dynastic war for the throne that was being waged not against Egwin, but actually against her only son, Athelstan and his fitness to rule. And this is the perspective that's taken by historians like Sarah Foote and Barbara York, that Egwin wasn't a concubine, and she wasn't lowborn, but rather, this was political propaganda intended to disinherit Athelstan and enable the line of Alflad to supersede him. In fact, Barbara York has even done some genealogical work and argues that Egwin wasn't just noble, she might have been related to St. Dunstan, due to some name elements and other obscure events in the life of St. Dunstan. But all of that was getting swept under the rug, because now Alflad was in power, and she wanted her kids to rule. But I should take care to point out that it's also possible that Egwin really was low status, and that we aren't seeing vicious slander, we're just seeing a true accounting of the situation. And we have several bits of evidence that could support that contention too. For example, we have a poem out of the 960s that speaks of Athelstan's mother as being low status. And that's within 60 years of this event, which is a lot closer in time than William of Malmesbury. But this also might just be another reflection of the rumors that William was attributing to Elfred. It's hard to say, but it's worth mentioning nonetheless. Something else to note is that later on, we're going to see Athelstan's succession hit a few speed bumps. Not everybody is on board with it. And Simon Keynes and Richard Abels suspect that the reason for these difficulties was because some major figures in Wessex did not want to accept Athelstan as king on the basis of his low birth. 
Now, whether this was because he was really of low birth or whether it was a sign that the Whisper campaign worked is another matter. I mean, this is what rumors and Whisper campaigns do. They don't have to convince you 100% they're correct. They just have to sow enough doubt and create enough association that you're unsure. And they can be remarkably effective, even when it's obvious they're complete bunk. For example, if I say Richard Gere, about 25% of you are going to start thinking about hamsters. But that story wasn't true. Yeah, it was a gerbil. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true either. The point is, the rumor mill is a powerful thing, and it works really quickly. So, with that in mind, what do we know? Very little. It's entirely possible that Edward was with a shepherd girl, and he had a few kids by her, and then she died at around the same time that Alfred died. And because Athelstan and maybe his sister had been sent to live in Mercia with Athelflaed, that meant that while Edward was mourning his father and Egwin, he also would have been alone in the court of Wessex until around 901. And that's horribly sad to think about. It's also possible that the shepherd girl was still alive, but because his culture called for it, when he took the throne, he set her aside and married someone of a suitable station. And that's also horrifically sad. And then there's the possibility that Egwin wasn't a shepherd girl, but was actually from a noble family. It's just that she wasn't from the right noble family. And because Edward was fighting off an attack from a rival line, he needed to heal that rift via a new marriage. And so Egwin was cast off. And then, as salt in the wound, rumors were being spread about her. Which is also sad. Honestly, there are hundreds of ways this could have played out. And that's not even taking into account the possibility that William might have been misinformed. But no matter which way you slice it, this looks like an incredibly sad story. I mean, God, there's even the possibility that young Athelstan wasn't sent to Mercia by Alfred. Instead, he may have been sent away by Edward at the urging of Alflad, who was working to make room for her own kids. And imagine the trauma of being sent away to a strange land after losing your grandfather and mother, and then having the introduction of a new stepmom who clearly wants to get you out of the picture. All that story needs is some glass slippers. I've looked at the years from 899 to 902 in all kinds of ways, and no matter how I frame it, those three years simply radiate tragedy. For Edward, for Egwin, for Athelstan, for pretty much everyone around the royal family. Those three years were a nightmare, both politically with all the wars, and also back at home. But they do say bad things always come in threes. So, who else is excited about 2018? If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. You can find us at British Podcast. And you can find links to all our other communities by going to the upper right-hand corner of thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah.